Yeah, yeah, let's go. It's time to get it started. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody, to our first podcast of the Giants and Frenemies. And we have one good frenemy today, Mike Maliti, a Cowboys fan representing. We got Abel in the box, a fellow Giants fan. And we are going to tell you a little bit about what this podcast is going to be about. You can follow us on Twitter at Giants Frenemies. Giants Frenemy is our handle. This podcast is us talking football, mainly me as a host from the Giants perspective. But my friends are Eagles fans, Cowboys fans, Ravens fans. We love to talk football. And so I want to know and I want the audience to know how in the world did a New Jersey guy, Mike, become a Cowboys fan? Mike, let us know how that happened growing up in Jersey. What's up? Thank you, Gio. Thanks for the invite. I proudly represent the frenemies across the United States and here in New Jersey with the Cowboy faithful. We have thousands of Cowboy fans here in the New York, New Jersey area. All you have to do is go out to the uh, MetLife game coming up on September 10th, and you'll see how many uh, wearing silver and blue and white all over that stadium that night. But putting that aside, when I was a kid, the Giants were certainly going through uh, what I would say a lengthy transition period. They were not exactly uh, lighting it up week to week. They had Lawrence Taylor as a young man, but he had he needed a lot more help before they were going to be anything. So my first exposure to football in about 1981-82 was the Cowboy team with the star on the helmet and the man with the fedora, Tom Landry, and loaded, loaded with superstars. Tony Dorsett and Danny White and Randy White and guys with crazy names like Ed Tall Jones and Everson <laughs> Walls. And I just fell in love with that team. Man, they were just the glamour, you know, playing on Thanksgiving. Love to watch them all the time. Bro, and I, I, I'm surprised it stuck because your father was a Giants fan, correct? That's correct. That's correct. My late dad bled blue and he was diehard Giants. So when it was Giants Cowboys and when I was of age to uh, talk a game a little better, those games became pretty hotly contested. There were, <laughs> I have some visuals of my father running around the living room when Lawrence Taylor sacked Danny White and, and me giving it back to him later on when Troy Aikman was lighting it up to Michael Irvin and I was making the playmaker signs like when he was in the end zone. So we had a good rivalry in the house, too. Let's take it to some sanity. A fellow Giants fan. Abel. Unbelievable. Well, tell me where, tell people where you're from, where you at now, and how'd you become a Giants fan? Then I'll share my story. No, I like Mike. I'm from New York, but I'm in the correct team because I was raised in New York. But yeah, Giants fan all the way. Oh, ever since 1985, 84, LT days. This is my team that I sneaked in to watch every time. My family were never a Giants fan. I was the only Giants fan in my family. I always watched football by myself. So I have to sneak in with my sister. We were fighting for the TV and trying to watch my Giants. And she was trying to watch her 
female stuff. So anyway, Giants fan all the way since the 85, 86, all the way to when Eli Manning. Also, my best remembrance is Phil Sims against the Niners in the in playoffs. And also yeah. when he won the first Super Bowl. And also Dan Hostetler in the second Super Bowl. Buffalo against the Buffalo Bills, the 2019 game. That's the most memorable game that I ever had. All right, all right. But, well, but, me, I'm, but oh. I'm from California, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't say I was from California. I live in California right now. Mm-hmm. And for me, I born in Manhattan, raised in the Bronx, but I'm living in cowboy country. I live in Texas now, but I bleed blue all the way. New York representing. And I'm a fan as well since 84. I remember just getting into football with friends. And Mike, you remember Ruben and Jacob? They brought me over to their house and we started watching games. I remember the disappointment of losing to the Chicago Bears in 85. And then 86, we came like gangbusters. My favorite players growing up there outside of Lawrence Taylor, who was my favorite. I had that was my first jersey with Phil Sims. But I used to pretend I was Joe Morris, the running back from back in the day. And yeah. I still bleed blue. I've gotten more into football than ever before the last four years. I used to be heavily baseball was my favorite sport, but now it's football. I don't know why. I just like the strategy, the 11 on 11. Baseball season's too long, but I bleed Yankees. And my favorite, though, memory of modern Super Bowls is beating the Patriots 18 and done. And there are friends of ours in the arena that I want to rub this into. Eli is Brady's daddy. So if you want to defend Brady, come on the podcast. (laughs) So, guys. That's where we're from. That's where we're going to be. If you want to be on the podcast, on the YouTube channel, and you're on the arena or you're watching us on YouTube and you're a friend of me or a fellow Giants fan, just drop a comment below and we'll get you on. So we started today because we wanted to talk about cuts of your favorite team. What, Mike, let's start with you. What was some of the surprise cuts on your team? And what are some of the surprise guys who made it onto your team now that we've had the initial 53? All right. Thanks, Gio. So I would say one of the headline names, even though there weren't too many shockers, we're not talking about pro bowlers who suddenly got cut today, but a guy that seemed like he was really in favor for a couple of years to take over as a starting defensive player a linebacker out of LSU by the name of Jabril Cox. He was drafted a few years ago and had emerged. They said, oh, you know, he's good in in run defense, but he's also good in coverage. And he was let go today. I think, uh, you know, just really not breaking through, you know, making enough plays from what I've read of some of the local writers on uh, Cowboys.com and other areas. So he was one that caught my attention. Another one would have been Quinton Bohanna. He's a guy who was just drafted last year, I believe maybe fourth or fifth round 
I'd have to verify that. But he was supposed to be one of these run stuffer types, real big guy, you know, 300 plus pounds, nose tackle kind of guy. But if you notice this year, Cowboys went with the big guy from Michigan in the first round, Mozzie Smith. So they have a lot of faith that he's going to develop in that spot. Plus a name that Giants fans should remember, a guy by the name of Jonathan Hankins, who is now a starter for the Cowboys at defensive tackle. So they're seeming to fill some of those run holes that way. And I guess Bohanna was uh, expendable. Another big move, though, today, not exactly a cut, but Kelvin Joseph, a guy who was a second-round pick at corner a couple of years back, just really never solidified himself, showing that he could cover. You know, last year he entered a couple of games. I'm thinking specifically about the game at the Jaguars that the Cowboys got stunned and lost in overtime on a tipped interception. And earlier in that game, the Jaguars made a big comeback, mostly picking on Joseph. They started to pass at him once he came in the game. And today he was traded straight up to the Dolphins for a corner that they formerly took in the first round who hasn't done a lot for them. And I can't pronounce his last name, sorry, but his first name's Noah. So apparently he's suddenly on the team. We'll see if he makes the final cut with Dallas, but I would think so if they traded for him. Maybe he's going to end up on the practice squad. So those were a few, and I think the 53 has pretty much shaped up, you know, from even before training camp. I think he kind of knew it's becoming a, it's a young base, but it's a veteran team too now, and you know, you kind of knew the names that were going to be centrally located here. Okay. All right. All right. Abel, for you, I'll give you the first shot at it, because I have my you know, thoughts on the fifth, the initial 53 yourself as a Giants fan, what caught you by surprise and who are you surprised that actually made it? Actually surprised, right? The most surprising was the O-line. They mm-hmm. cut the Phillips guy. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember him. Yeah, he, mm-hmm. It's not very comforting because there was inconsistent showing from the previous O-line person, Matt Pert. Yeah. And, and, Cutting him, it, it creates more lack of depth, depth in our own line. They need to protect mm-hmm. Mr. Jones. Mm-hmm. But I understand that Phillips had a leg issue, some injury, but they could have kept him. That was my surprise cut. The other one was O'Shane. Mm-hmm. O'Shane, the linebacker. Yeah, um, Simmons. I, yeah, so I know the addition of Simmons came, and Basham is also in our defense. I think maybe that's the reason why, one of the main reasons, because they got two of the better defenders in the free agency. And also, we the we cut Cole Beasley. You mm-hmm. remember Cole Beasley? Mm-hmm. You guys know yeah. Cole Beasley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mikey um, knows. They, <laughs> yeah. And we have a lot of depth in the position. So ever since the, they signed him, it didn't make sense to me. But now that they cut him, we got... Sterling Shepard, Wendell Robinson, and we have a lot of depth in there. So I think from the season, uh, if we needed Beasley, probably he could come back with the, the Giants. So those are my uh, surprise cuts. What yeah, about for, you, Gio? Yeah, for me, the biggest surprise cut is like Mike on your team, a guy we drafted last year, Darian Beavers. And he was looking good. He was looking like he was going to start next year, you know, last year. The, that 
inside linebacker position, but then he got an ACL tear and that took him out for the whole rookie season. And now he came back and he looks slow as can be. And I, I hate the fact that a promising young rookie was taken out by an injury and looks like he's not recovered to the point where they cut him because um, many Giants fans had high hopes for him last year to be a starter. He was going to start as a rookie, but now he's fallen so much he's going to be cut. I think, though, they may ask him to come back on the practice squad and let him rehabilitate himself there and see if he can capture some of that explosiveness he had last year. Because, like I said, he was ready to start last year, even though our team isn't as in as deep last year as it is this year. And then Abel, like you, the surprise cut was Beasley because I didn't think they would cut him, but he did suffer an injury here. And the early word, the early word is that he is going to be put on practice squad while he recuperates and then bring him up if needed throughout the season. And the reason they could do that with Beasley is because him being a veteran, he's not subject to waivers. So they probably have a, a gentleman's handshake saying, hey, get on the practice squad, recuperate, and when you're 100% healthy, we will get you back on the squad. Another thing I want to point out, not that I was thinking he was going to get cut, is Wandale Robinson. He practiced not at all. He's recovering from last year's ACL tear that he had against Detroit. And with, I thought he was going to be on pup, miss the first four weeks so he can rehabilitate and then come back strong. But they activated him exactly today. And so he's on pace to be ready for your Cowboys week one, buddy. So with that notion, let's talk about Mike. What are some of the strengths? and weaknesses you see going into the season about your Cowboys. If everything went right, what are some of the strengths? And heaven forbid, well, not heaven forbid, I wish it does. If everything goes wrong, what would be some of those weaknesses that may accentuate the reason it goes wrong? I'll tell you what, guys. I haven't felt this good about a roster going into the season for a long time. And you guys go back with me. So you know I'll talk some trash and and make some predictions about my more out of hope maybe some years. But I will say that talent and roster-wise, we've built it right. I think there's a nice mix of veterans and young players. But if you want to talk about strengths, and it's ironic, right, because every day on all these pundit channels, all they talk about is Dak Prescott and Tony Pollard and can he do it without Ezekiel Elliott and Mike McCarthy, and does he even remember how to call plays? He called plays like <laughs> in the Stone Age ago. And even when he did, he did it with Aaron Rodgers. So that's different because really it was Aaron Rodgers. So while they're all talking about the offense, people forget to talk about this defense. And this defense last year was already showing signs of becoming dominant. Remember in the divisional playoff game, even when we lost to San Francisco, they give up 19 points. They lost the game 19 to 12. Certainly wasn't on the defense's head. This defense is loaded right now. They made the concerted effort in the offseason. We had plenty of free agents, and you started to see them come back. Van Der Esch resigned. Donovan Wilson resigned. J. Ron Curse extended. All kinds of guys. And then all of a sudden, 
out of a playbook that came from the 90s, which you guys remember very well. <laughs> when you're getting close and you got a roster, you add that guy, that veteran corner. Now, I'm not comparing him to a certain 21 who has added in 95, but Stefan Gilmore, the trade for him from the Colts is really a solid pickup because not only because he's always had talent and he might be a little bit on the backside speed wise now, but because of his know-how, the way he plays the ball, his influence on Diggs, who kind of felt like he was on an island last year with our safeties. So I think our defense top to bottom, we have four or five high, high level pass rushers, obviously led by Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence. Who's going to be then a giant I think we have someday? Enough- hey, Micah Parsons going to be a giant someday. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have news for you. If Jerry Jones lives on this earth, and maybe, hey, he's getting up there in years, but if he lives on this earth, Micah Parsons won't be allowed to do any- wear anything but a star on his helmet. <laughs> I think the team loves him for life, no matter what happens. I think he'll be there. Demarcus Lawrence is there on the other side. And I don't think our offense is going to be porous. I think they're very good. I think we have a good three-headed receiver monster. You have Lamb. You have Cooks now, which was another big addition in the offseason. And we have Gallup now back healthy with Prescott putting up big numbers. If you look before injuries and things like that, he has had tremendous success when he's had all the weapons around him now. Because you asked me, weakness-wise, I will tell you this. I'm concerned very much as of today about the depth on the O-line. I think the starting five are very solid. But we've seen in some recent years, we had to go a couple games without Zach Martin. Tyron Smith, the legend that left tackle, last year missed a ton of games. I think he missed 13 or 14 games. And as soon as some of those kingpin guys go down, now suddenly you have more pressure on Prescott. They're in the backfield on the backs, you know, formerly on Elliott. Now you're going to see it on Pollard and some of the supporting cast he has. So if we have injuries there, that's why I'm calling for, I hope they're going to add maybe a veteran or two along the way here, even if they're not high level, but quality experienced guys to come in in relief because you start losing guys on that old line, you Giants fans know in the last six or seven years of your lives, the old line makes the difference. When you don't have that, you're facing suddenly a lot of losses. Yep. Yep. I agree with you. And that's one of, I'll go next, Abel. That's one of my concerns with the Giants, too. I like our starting five. Uh, perhaps maybe not as much as you like your starting five because we do have a rookie at center. But I don't trust our depth there on the starting five. And that being said, you know, we talk about the initial 53 cut down. The Giants only have 52 players. There's one spot open and we only have uh, three tackles. So I think we're going to be looking in the waiver wire or perhaps through a trade for depth in the tackle position. Because I like our starting five, but the depth needs two. And so I guess in my sense, I'm starting with the weakness. The other thing is our run game. Dexter Lawrence and Leo were great, but they played too many snaps last year. And so we added some depth on the defensive line, but I haven't seen it play yet. So let's see how the run stopping goes. 
obviously I like the two corner rookies, but that word is imperative. They're rookies. So I don't know how they're going to hold up, but they look great. Having uh, a Dory Jackson in the slot instead of Darnell Holmes is going to be good for the slot because your boy on week one, CeeDee Lamb, likes to play in the slot a lot. So yes, that'll be does. a good yep, yes, that, that'll be a good battle week one. So those are my weaknesses. On the strength on my team, what I love, love, absolutely love, is overall we have gotten younger and a lot faster. We are super fast at the wide receiver position. I mean, we got Blazers. We got Hyatt, who runs super fast. GPS recorded him at 24 miles per hour. Nobody has else been recorded, not even the Cheetah, uh, Tyreek Hill. We have not Robinson is fast. Darius Slayton is fast. Paris Campbell is fast. Our new tight end, Waller, is fast. So that speed, I want to see how it plays out. And the last thing I'll say about my teams, Danny Dime is going to ball out. I'm not worried about Danny Dime. <laughs> when he's hitting these wide open receivers because they're so fast, it's going to be like playing catch. So I'm, I'm happy about that. And it's that O-line, like you've always said, Mike, it comes down to that O-line. If the starting five can play well, which I think they will, but if they get hurt, man, it's revolving door. A Perks line of scrimmage. Yep. <laughs> the line of scrimmage. Hi, bro. Abel, you, for you, what are some of the so, strengths and weaknesses you see in our Giants? One of the big strengths is the offensive weapons that we have. Barkley, our receivers, Sterling Sharp, Darius Layton, Wendell. Uh, we even have Hyatt. Um, I think that's the, uh, of the one of the strengths that we have. Not only Daniel Jones, but our receivers are going to be the strength for our team, and I think our team's going to be successful in the passing game. So mm-hmm. a lot of people in the arena have been saying that he can't pass at all. He, he only can run, run, run. This year we're going to see some of some hey, of the Terry, surprises. he's talking about you, Terry. <laughs> and the other strength that I see to my team is the, the defensive side, the defensive line. Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Aziz is going to give a name to our defense, and a lot of people is going to know about him. I think he's going to have a, a good year, Ujulari. And the rookie, Kevin Dipedo, I love the, the kid. He's going to be great for our team. I think that our defensive line can penetrate, and we can control the line. And I think that's our strength of the team. My weakness is the secondary, still the mm-hmm. secondary. Are we... We got rid of Bradbury, but still, there's still a hole in there. So maybe they're going to be some embarrassing 37 to 35 game. And our defense, our secondary will be the culprit. But I think that if the D-line can hold up, our Giants can do well, especially against the, the Cowboys. Yeah, well, no offense, but... I ought to keep it real here. Until we beat the Cowboys, I just can't talk too much because, man, we haven't beaten them in a long time, which leads me to our next section. Give me your in-season prediction. We'll start with Abel now. Give me your in-season prediction of what you think your New York Giants are going to do, best-case scenario and worst-case scenario. Give me a record for best-case scenario, worst-case scenario. I will give a record of 10-7, and and we're going to make the playoffs. For best case scenario? Best case scenario. Okay. And what happens if everything goes wrong? 
what would be your worst case scenario record? Worst worst case scenario, we're not gonna if we would not win more than seven if our strengths are not our strength, if our offensive weapons are not functioning, and if our D line are not penetrating. So that's the worst case scenario. Okay, you well, know you notice he didn't go too too low there. He was edging his bet there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pass it off to you. Perception. I'll pass it off to you. What do you think is best case scenario for record wise and worst case scenario if things don't go right? I think, as I said before, this roster, now you're in a few years with the same head coach, mostly the same coaching staff, including our defensive coordinator, who's like a star, and Dan Quinn. I see 12 to 13 wins on the upside. I don't think, you know, beyond that, it's very difficult because of the difficulty in schedule. We have to recognize that our division is going to play a very improved AFC East this year. In addition to the NFC West, that has at least two bona fide contending teams in it, maybe even a third if the Rams ever showed signs. I can't really say much for the Cardinals. But you, we're going to have a challenging schedule on the downside if you start seeing breakdowns to Tyron Smith, like I was saying, Zach Martin, you know, a lack of cohesion with this newer play calling with Dak versus the running game, things like that, where you lose some close games, I could see them go down to an eight and nine or a nine and eight and, you know, and miss the playoffs. Mm -hmm. In that scenario, that's going to be catastrophic because then I and think... And they will fire the coach, Mike. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, I think then... The owner would have to take action, you know, anything short of playoffs for the Cowboys, you know, and I'm saying playoffs like an established playoff team, not squeaking in either. You know, if they had to finish a close second to the Eagles, which I'm hoping wouldn't happen, we should overcome them this year. But, you know, that would be okay. I think he'd live with that. And then a deep playoff run, you know, you got to see a couple wins there in the playoffs. Okay. My, for me, I think best case scenario, right? all depending on health, if everybody stays healthy. I think a best case scenario for the Giants is 11-6 and six and make the playoffs. To be honest, I think it's either going to be Dallas or the Eagles take the division, one of those two teams. I'm actually leaning, unfortunately, towards the Cowboys because when was the last time we had a repeat NFC East champion, right? And so worst oh, case scenario. What? I believe it was 04. Yeah, uh-huh. the Eagles, wow. 2004. Yeah. And they had done it up to that point four times in a row. And so it hasn't been <laughs> yeah. since then. And so best case scenario, I think we lock up uh, the wild card, you know, the first wild card early on at 11 and 6. Um, and then worst case scenario will be if the O-line has injuries and and – yeah, if the old line has injuries because of the lack of depth, Danny will have to be running for his life. I think we'll we'll score points, but there'll be too many series where we don't score points where the other team can take advantage and score more points than uh, the Giants. So worst case scenario, I'm seeing 7 and 10 around there because I think this coaching staff with last year's lack of talent was able to, and a lot of injuries, was able to piece things together. So I think we won't implode like 3 and 14 or anything like that. 
but like mm-hmm. six and 11, seven and 10 is worst case scenario. So somewhere in that gap, but I'm excited like you, Mike, I haven't been this excited about my giants <laughs> in a while, but it all depends, right? It all depends on, and, and by the way, I, I predict the Cowboys to win the division. Okay. Yeah. Thank but, you, Abel. Yeah. We're going to do a prediction show, yeah. not only for each division, <laughs> but who's going to end up on the Super Bowl. And since we're recording this, it'll be the record. So look, I'm excited about the season. Mikey, you said you're excited. Abel, I know yeah. you're excited. What are you looking forward to the most on opening night? Mike, go ahead. And don't say when, just out of, you know, yeah. what's, what's taking No, place. I think it's just the excitement. You know, coming out, I think it's extra special if I could add this flavor because just because I cheer for the Cowboys doesn't mean you take mm-hmm. the jersey in New York out of me. The mm-hmm. fact that they're going to come out of the tunnels at MetLife right here a few miles from the epicenter of 9-11, yep. when the next day is 9-11, and you're going to have the New York football giants and America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, he had to duking it out on prime time on Sunday night football. If you can't get up for that game, then you don't understand sports. For reals. Look, for me, you know, not talking about wins and loss. We'll talk about that later. To me, the excitement is that this, to me, is the first time I believe that Daniel Danny Dimes has competent coaching. This is the first time he's going to play on the competent coaching for the second year. And that now he has weapons. For me, the evaluation of Danny Dimes begins this year. No excuses. He has the weapons. He has the running back. No excuses now. And I think he'll going to do good. So even win or lose, I think he's going to play well that night. And I just want to see him grow because week two against the Arizona, we're going to blow him out. I'm calling it now. Those people are tanking for that quarterback, (laughs) Williams, Caleb Williams. And so we're blowing out Arizona. (laughs) Abel, for you, what's the excitement going into week one? It haven't been exciting since 2011, mm-hmm. or last time we won the Super Bowl. And I think we can go far. Maybe this is a similar story of Eli Manning, Daniel Jones there. Let's see. And also, it's going to be a special night in, in New Jersey. And I'm very excited, super excited. And on the contrary, uh, Gio, you mentioned that Daniel Jones getting evaluated, too much pressure for him. I think the most pressure quarterback coming into this year is Doc Prescott for me. I mean, mm. Doc have Trey Lance behind him. And you know how if he has another subpar season, just like last season, something's going to happen. I mean, who knows? Maybe bench in the third year on, under the coach. Mike, that being said, now that he brought it up, how do you feel about Dak saying, I'm not going to throw 10 interceptions this year? Do you think he was talking out of his mouth. Obviously, he believes it. But do you think it may add some psychological pressure if he has one or two or three early on in the season? Well, I think the pressure is just there no matter what. When you're quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys and you see the coverage that the, the channels and the pundits are constantly giving 
to this guy and the team. One little, oh, today Dak smiled funny at Coach McCarthy. Maybe they don't like each other anymore. I mean, that that makes three hours of ESPN's coverage. So, you know, look, the pressure's built in. I think getting back to the question about your com- about the comment, I think he was trying to give himself the confidence, you know, to say, look, I'm eliminating all that. I think the play call, I think they made a concerted effort to say, look, we're not going to make you, you know, in a second half of a playoff game, come out and throw the ball 35 times, trying to force the ball down the field. We're going to have balance. We're going to get back to the run. We're going to throw the short pass, but we're going to throw the long pass. And I think he'll be fine. And just remember, for purposes of next Sunday, let's remind ourselves of an important statistic. Mr. Prescott (laughs) is 24 wins and four losses against the NFC East in his young career. 24 (laughs) and four. So while, yes, the 49ers have clipped him a couple times, he certainly brings his A game to the table to play the Giants at the East. Well, this is why people we call the podcast Giants and Frenemies, because that's frenemy number one right there. Reminding Enemy us of, number one. Yeah, of that bogus stat. Now, that being said, all right, let's wrap this thing up for our first episode. Abel, give me your closing remarks as we head into season one as we talk about this podcast. What are your closing uh, remarks tonight? Thank you, Gio, for the opportunity to be in the first podcast. I hope, you know, more frenemies join us and... Hopefully our mutual friend is not sleeping right now and hopefully he'll join next time. I expect, I think our outlook is going to be very good. We have a lot of discussion for the NFL. It's going to be an exciting season and hopefully our frenemies can join in the fun with us. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the Giants fans allowing me to infiltrate their little blue party here. I wore blue to try to fit in with you tonight, but as you can see, yeah. It's a different kind of blue, gentlemen. <laughs> See that star right there? That's a different kind of blue. But I will say this. It's blinding. As the NFL season approaches, one of the fun things is at this time of year, look how many teams have the positive hope, you know, the vibes going in. And the fans are going to come out in droves and show it. You're going to see those first few weeks. Everybody still has the hope. And then as October approaches, you start to see some fall by the wayside, unfortunately. But Hey, look, it's open. You know, it's open. There's not one team that you just say automatically, even the Chiefs, you know, as good as they've been over the last few years, it's not automatic. Abel mentioned off the air, you know, about Chris Jones. You know, that's a major mm-hmm. factor. That's a mm-hmm. that's a major player that you're talking about maybe sitting the down. Best defensive games. player. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Could hurt the Chiefs. So it's wide open. A lot of teams have a chance, and that makes it exciting for the fans. Yep. For me, my closing thought is our next episode together, we'll talk about season predictions, who's going to win each division. We'll do it rapid fire. Who's going to advance, who our Super Bowl predictions going to be. Perhaps we'll talk about who might win the MVP. But as Mike, you said, man, the season's wide open. All of us have hope. I know I feel hopeful. I think we will make the playoffs uh, as a wild card, but I'm very hopeful. And for the audience, you know, the three of us and some other frenemies may get together, but I will be giving updates daily. Sometimes it may be a one minute video as things drop. It won't always be Giants news. If news like Trey Lance being traded to the cardboard pops up, which interests us, 
Jerry didn't tell his coach or his quarterback, so that could be controversy, which we like. So different updates. Stay tuned to the podcast. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes. You can find us here on YouTube. And like I said, if you want to be part of the podcast, if you're a friend, giant fan or a frenemy, don't hesitate to leave a comment and we will next time drop an email where you can email me. If not, follow me on Twitter on Giants Frenemies or on Instagram, same handle, Giant Frenemies. Until next time, have a good time and listen to the music as we roll out.